Before we get into this week's episode, I really wanted to share a tip with you guys, and that is a skincare brand that I recently found out about, which is called Folk Beauty. It is natural, vegan, and created by a self-proclaimed ingredients nerd, okay? So this skincare line really looks to treat your pores, oily, combination, stressed, and sensitive skin with ingredients like hibiscus, aloe, and moringa, which are all sourced in Africa. The creator of the brand really wanted to treat specific concerns she was personally experiencing, such as dark spots, oily combination skin, and ingrown hairs. Another thing that is great about the brand is its price point. So unfortunately, in the age of inclusive beauty, many natural brands are not catering to these specific concerns, along with making it accessible and affordable to everyone. If you would like to try Folk Beauty for yourself, all you got to do is enter my code SITWITHME at checkout for 10% off at folkbeauty.com. That is P-H-O-L-K beauty.com using code sit with me. You can't sit with me. Hosted by Deanna Espear. Below Deck Med. Can you guys believe it? I've been binging the entire series. I think it's five seasons up until now. And I usually like to recap a show before I have a guest. I mean, I don't like to. I guess I'm a very thirsty person who's going to recap the show. This isn't how this worked this time. I aggressively posted it on Instagram stories and was lucky to be introduced to my absolute fucking favorite of the entire show, <laughs> Anna Ferrier. Ferrier. Ferrier, because I'm French. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm so fucking excited to have you. You don't understand. It used to be my job to interview like celebrity like every celebrity you can think of like the game of thrones and things and i never really get starstruck but watching you on below deck med i can relate so much to you i feel like i know you so having you on now is very nerve-wracking for me because i know so much about you, you know nothing about me <laughs> i know it's weird right what's your star sign let's start with that <laughs> so, sorry i said what's your star sign we oh can start with gosh. that so i know something about you Oh my gosh, I love that you asked me a question. I'm a Pisces. What are you? <laughs> I'm a Sagittarian. Very typical. I could have sworn that we had the same star sign. You know, there's something that when watching you, I can't explain it. I'm the same as you at work. I'm kind of like, yeah. people don't like me when I'm at work because I'm very matter of fact and I'm People call me bitchy a lot of the times at work, but once they get to know me on a personal level, it's like night and day. Like I'm a completely different person in my personal life than I am in my professional life. And I feel like you're yeah. the exact same way. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's, it's always funny when I meet fans, they're like, oh my God, you're so chilled and lovely. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm not running around after like, 10 assholes who have been wasted for two days like believe it or not I'm not stressed in my normal life like that so but yeah no I think it's definitely you know it's work I just go there to work and earn money so I'm definitely just put on my work hat and you know get yeah. down to it and I think also a lot of the the cast members that I've seen in the past you know, when you look at them, they're literally the exact same person at work than they are in their private life. And that's yeah. when they kind of fall short sometimes because their mistakes from their personal lives, they bring it onto the workspace. And that's why it causes so much friction. You know what I mean? Oh, 
And that's why they take things so personally as well. Because to me, like, if I get criticized at work, you're not criticizing me as a human being. You're criticizing what I've done. Yeah, you're criticizing my work. So I don't really care. It's like, it's it's so so different. Like, it's so funny because when people bitch about you at work, you're literally like, okay, thank you. And you literally don't give a fuck. No, I couldn't care less because I also go with, you know, what suits you might not suit someone else. You know, what suits one captain won't suit another. So it doesn't really phase me. And like, especially on social media when they're like, oh my God, you're such a bitch to this. And, you know, you've got such an attitude. I'm like, yeah, I know I have an attitude. I've done this for 12 years. So I'm fucking sick of it. <laughs> it's, you know, I do have an attitude. <laughs> And it's like also when people say like, you shouldn't have an attitude, you should have a passion for this. Like, I'm sure that, you know, lawyers that have been lawyers for 12 years have a fucking attitude because once you've done something for 12 years, like, I think it's easy to be like a Joao and he, for example, you know, came very far in a very short amount of time. It's super easy to still have that drive when you've only done it for a couple of years. But when it's like yeah. a long game, like you've done it for over like five, six years, every fucking person, you could be doing the funnest job in the world. Y- y- you get fucking sick of it. It's a job. It's not fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, exactly. And I think that's where I got almost like I think a little bit confused because I was kind of like look whether I'm passionate at my job or not and like whether I want to do yachting for the rest of my life I don't think that should be held against me if I come in and I work hard and I do my job well just kind of leave me alone like if I'm if I'm not doing my job then come to me about that but you don't it's not really like I know it sounds rude in some ways but I'm like it's not really any of your business what I'm passionate about in my life like, that's my life. I'm allowed to come to work and just work. Like, and if you don't like that, then don't hire me, you know, or don't work with me. Because I've never lied about it. I've never come on and gone like, oh, my God, like, I want to be in yachting for the rest of my life. It's what I dreamed of. And, like, no, I've never been like that. So, like, I prefer, personally, I would prefer somebody who's a hard worker and who's honest than somebody who is fake you know and pretending that they're passionate about something that they're not I really love that you're saying this because exactly it's none of their problem but also you know when you are kind of greener and you come on the job and you're like I'm so passionate about this all it takes is for one thing to go wrong for them to lose their shit I feel like when someone has less of their heart into something it just makes them like a more consistent worker you're more linear and And more professional more professional and so Mm. yeah I I kind of love that about you and that's how we really relate like at work everyone's afraid of me um and (laughs) it used to really make me feel like left out and like I had to people please like in my personal life and things and now I'm just like I don't give a fuck if you don't like me because You'd be lucky to be my friend if you were, but you're not. Um, Yeah. Well, I think that, to be honest, is why I've had the staying power I've had on Below Deck because if, you know, like you see a lot of people, a lot of people in reality TV, they come on and they're themselves and then they get the backlash and they watch themselves and then they come on and then they try and filter themselves and then they're trying to change and be who the audience wants them to be. And, like, I've just... Like, it's almost like, it's very hard, like with Sandy, because it's like, 
I'm not a people pleaser and I never have been, but that's probably why I'm interesting viewing because I don't actually like it, it has to be quite genuine to your core. Like you really don't care what people think. I'm just myself season after season and I fall on my face sometimes and I make mistakes, but then I'm not a people pleaser like on the boat either because it's because I'm on a reality show and I'm being myself. Yeah. So I can't pretend to then be a kiss ass when I'm working on the boat because that's not me, you know? Yeah. I, that that's my absolute favorite thing about you about uh, about this. I kind of had a bit of a question. So, is it kind of a, an agreement between you and Bravo that you're kind of on and on every season, or are you kind of just surprised to be back on the show every season? No, I go through like the same system as everyone does with Bravo every year. So I never know, you know, year to year whether they'll ask me back or whether. Sandy wants to work with me or I don't know like every year so it's always a surprise so there's no like kind of deal between you and Bravo why do you is that why why do you think they just keep bringing you on is it for more continuity is it because you're just if you can admit like kind of the star of the show I think that they um you know I think that they like having the continuity with the captains and the chief stews because it's good like no pun intended, but to anchor the show a little bit. Because, uh-huh. you know, on like Vanderpump and Summer House, you've got a lot of reoccurring characters. And, you know, I think the audience like getting to know someone and investing in them. Whereas with Below Deck, you know, they change their um, crew every year. But then they, you know, they probably like having one or two that are, are familiar faces. I mean, I'm not mad about you being there every season. That's why I'm watching, which is <laughs> hey, now. Congratulations, your presence. Isn't it funny Thanks. that at the beginning of this season, you were like, I'm doing this until I get knocked up and then you get knocked up. <laughs> I know, right? I saw that pre because they, Bravo used that as a clip and I'm not even sure if they knew I was pregnant at the time and my partner was just laughing so hard. Wait, you were pregnant like, yeah. at the time? I didn't know that. No, 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 no. Sorry, I, di- I don't know if Bravo knew I was pregnant when they used that clip on Instagram to promote the show. I was not pregnant while we were filming, no. Oh, okay. I mean, they must have felt something coming. Something was coming. <laughs> Maybe. So this is a little too soon for this, but you got knocked up. So are you not going to be doing this anymore? No, I'm all done with yachting, hanging my epaulets up. No way. So wait, so rewind. During the year, like, because we see you on Below Deck Meds, you know, it's like the summer season. It's like yachting season. What were you doing all those years for the rest of the year? Were you still in yachting? Were you doing other stuff during throughout the year? Um, so at the start, I was kind of taking on projects on yachts. So I did like a refit in Barcelona. So we were refitting the interior of the yacht. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, I would basically, like, I kind of knew that I wanted to have uh, kids in my early, mid-30s. And so I really just took the opportunity to live it up. I was in South of France with, like, my besties for a good chunk every year. I'd spend time in America. And, yeah, I just kind of enjoyed the break. Like, I started work when I was very young, like 14, and I started work full-time. And so... Between that age and then when I started Below Deck, it was always just work, 
work, work. So this was actually a really fun time to just kind of take a step back and just kind of chill out and enjoy life and have fun. The more you're speaking to me, the more I'm like, we are the same fucking person. <laughs> okay. Because I'm 31 and yeah. uh, my whole life I knew I wanted to be like a mom. Mm-hmm. It never happened for me. I'm still single. Um, yeah. So I'm kind of working and I love my job. But I'm also like, when is this going to fucking end? Yeah. Like, I, I think like, I was single at 31. So yeah. there you go. How, how did you like kind of cope with it? Because I find it so hard personally. Like most of my friends are married. Most of my friends have yeah. kids. And I feel like I'm kind of left behind sometimes, although I don't feel pressure because a lot of the guys that I could be dating, I break up with them because they suck and I think I'm too good for them. Um, and yeah. <laughs> and so I feel like I'm kind of stuck in this, like I either have to go for a shitty guy or I'm going to kind of like miss the but. Like how did you cope with those feelings when, when you were my age and single? Um. I think it is really scary. So like the other day I actually had a calendar reminder pop up and me and a girlfriend had had a bet when I was 31. We were so drunk listening to Phil Collins and I bet her that in two years' time I would still be single and she bet me that I'd be with the guy that I would settle down and marry. And we actually bet a one-week holiday in Bali, so I lost. I'm going to take her on holidays. Oh but my God. I was that <laughs> I was that convinced at the time because I was the same. I was like, to me, I'm like, this is what I want in a relationship. This is what I want from my partner. If you cannot do it, if you can't come to the table, I don't care about anything else. I don't care what you look like, what your job is, how nice of a guy you are. I know what I want and I'm not going to settle for less. And that's basically what I did. And, you know, you have to meet like a guy that's like my one. I still needed to whip him into shape. Like he wasn't perfect when I met him, but I think he kind of, you know, hopefully realized that it was worth the boot up the backside. Um, because, you know, to me, I'm like, I, you know, I do have a lot to offer and I'm not going to settle for anything less than what I think I deserve. And that's what I did. You've just got to keep dating. I dated a lot. <laughs> it's so discouraging. It's with all the motherfuckers <laughs> out there. Let me tell you, it's so discouraging. I can't cope with yeah. the amount of douchiness I'm experiencing in the dating Especially world. Especially the like the egos these days on these really average guys. <laughs> I'm like, I'll sit there and be like, no offense, but like, who the fuck do you think you are with that? Like massive chip on your shoulder thinking that you deserve some like and you're just so not it's crazy you're not smart enough to be this douchey you're not you're not pretty this douchey like I'm the prize like I literally going through the exact same phase that you were like I cannot bring myself to settling for someone because I'm 31 and single yeah and I also feel like the the older you get, the more picky you get because you really understand values and values become more and more important. What what are the kind of things yeah. that you did to to whip your guy into shape? Like how do you whip a guy into shape? <laughs> I think I honestly I just had my 
kind of expectations and my standards and you know there did come like a stage where I was like you know what like you're doing this I want this I'm allowed to want this and expect this so you're not doing it so we're good either do it or ship out and you know I when I saw your your pregnancy announcement um on social media for me it was such a shock because I was just like discovering you on season two when I saw the announcement yeah. like, oh my gosh that's spilled the entire of the seasons for me like what <laughs> and you know, but so happy because I was like, oh, she finally found someone. And then I went on the photo and I saw kind of a lot of nasty comments about like, you should get married before you get a kid. And oh, like, yeah. yeah, fuck them. Did, did, did you react to any of the comments? Like, could, can we have like a little reaction to that? Or you don't want to react to it, which I completely understand. But I thought Hannah always has something to say. So I would want to know what she has to say about this. No, I think that like, Everyone is different. I think that we all get brought up in really different ways. So to me, like the fact that you're married doesn't mean anything. I'm not religious, so there's no, my partner's not religious, so it's not anything to do with religion. And to me, I'm like, we are now a lot more committed than a marriage. Like a marriage, you can just sign some paperwork, get a divorce, and be on your merry way. Like we, we have, a child together so (laughs) you're stuck with me for life motherfucker whether you like it or not (laughs) so it's you know I don't know to me it's like I kind of I always assumed I'd be married before I had kids um but I know that we are happy and this is the thing is I just go like I would prefer a man who I know is a good man who looks after me he gets up at 4 a.m every morning to get me cereal And then he gets up at 6 a.m. and works his ass off to provide for me. And it's like I would prefer that than a guy who goes, oh, you're pregnant. Let's get married. And then is shagging his secretary in a year's time, you know? Or also a guy who Um, owe me 50 euros. (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk about (laughs) this for a second. That's never going to sit well with me. (laughs) That's never going to sit well with me. I I really want to – I know this is so last season. I have some things about this season I want to talk about. But I – really wanted to talk to you about this because you know I'm a European girl and I've never actually admitted this on the podcast but I'll admit it to you because you've always been so real so I kind of want to take a you know inspired by Hannah um (laughs) um, I've always been a hard worker because like my dad comes from nothing right and he told me like I I, like you start I, I started working at the age of 12 Um, And then I went to school at the same time as working and I've always been a super hard worker. But on the other end, I also grew up being one of the kids that would holiday on one of the yachts. Yeah. Except that my dad was never an asshole to staff because my dad literally came from nothing. So he was always like super kind. So we were never spoiled like that, but my family was successful enough that we could have these like really nice holidays and things. So, and my dad's like a British guy. Sorry. Thanks, Hannah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I got you. (laughs) My dad was always like a super, you know, British guy. And for him, it was always like the guy should pay. And like, yes, you should work. 
you should not be a spoiled brat. You should not expect anything, but the guy should always look after you. And I yeah. always complained about this in America with my friends, you know, first dates, guys trying to split the check, like guys trying to make me pay for shit. And to me, that was not okay. And I'm not materialistic. Like, I, in fact, I'm one of the most emotional, you know, I'm, I'm very not materialistic. And to me, that's something that shocked me on the series. So I want to understand yeah. how you reacted to being like called this name and what you have to say about it. Cause that's something that really bugged me. Yeah. It definitely frustrated me at the time because I'm the same as you. Like I have always worked. I've always had my own money. I have my own savings. I'm like, like when me and my partner, like we're looking to buy a place, we are going to go halves in the deposit. And I don't know if you know about Sydney real estate, but Sydney real estate's out of control. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I've all like that sort of stuff. I'm totally fine to go. Yeah, sure. What's it? You know, we have 300,000. Let's split it. But to me, I'm such a generous person with my loved ones, with my friends, with my family that I expect the same in return and especially a guy I'm dating and newly dating and like the thing that annoyed me in this scenario is I'm like they're like you don't know what 50 euros is to him I'm like yes I do we just got like a two and a half thousand euro tip we're not talking like I've decided to date one of the guys that work for like seven euros an hour at the local pub you know we're gonna clear 20,000 euros in tips for the season like I wouldn't ask like if I had a roommate like a cabin mate on the boat if I went and got them something off the boat for 50 euros I wouldn't ask them for 50 euros back you know yeah it's just a weird thing to me like it's called a gesture and you don't quantify a gesture and that's what I think you're trying to explain with the deposit. You're like, we're life partners, so I'll be the life partner. And, you know, I'm going to do my part however we see fit as a couple. But a gesture yeah. is a fucking gesture. And don't come at yeah. me, you owe me this for, like, it should have been a gesture. Yeah, it was just, but I guess to me, I didn't, like, I wouldn't have even, I didn't even really think about it that hard. It was just so weird to me and so foreign because I've always, I don't know. I guess I've always maybe dated gentlemen and they're, you know, it's the same. Like they pick up the first date bill and, you know, you get the Sunday afterwards or something like, and maybe when you settle into a relationship, it's a bit more half, half, but I think especially at the start, but like, it wasn't even because he was the man and I was the woman. It was more because it just seems so absurd to me to ask for 50 euros from somebody that you're dating. Like I would never ask him for, 50 euros it just seems weird to me yeah I, I I completely see the whole dating thing but also I think at the beginning as well the guy should court the girl like I'm old school that way like I want a gentleman and especially when it's like a yeah. British guy I would expect for him to be even more so of a gentleman and I was kind of shocked by this even though I thought he was in the beginning I thought he was awesome do you realize that you weren't in love with him now that you're watching back I mean obviously now but at the time Yes, a hundred percent I do. And I didn't think I, I don't think I thought I was at the time, but what happens sometimes when you're filming is like, especially with anxiety, you're getting anxiety because of what you're, 
you know, about your your nerves about coming out and being and looking a certain way. So, but that's not really something that you can explain when you're filming because yeah. you can't explain you know? when you're filming. I'm being filmed and I'm anxious about how I'm going to look on camera. <laughs> yeah. So you had to find something yeah. out. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think it very much, and it very much was about him. Um, I'm just not really sure how much of it was like I'm freaking out about being in love with him or I'm freaking out about having a relationship that, you know, obviously going south while I'm on, you know, a boat with cameras and just having a bit of an anxiety freak out in general, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of really interesting relationships on Below Deck Med and I feel like a lot of the times, especially with you, these relationships kind of go like full circle. Like to me, Joao, like when I see you the first time he was there, first of all, he looks like a completely different person. Good call on the beard, by the way. But he also completely yeah. changed as a human. But like, and even with Adam, even with like all of these people, I like people that you initially hated and then developed like such a, a a good relationship with. And it was so surprising to me to see Malia and you this season kind of get on um, and get along. Yeah. Because when I first saw her initially come on season five, I was like the nerve of bringing her back. Mm -hmm. Like she was such a little bitch. And then even when yeah. I saw like your first interaction with her, I was like, holy shit, she's like an adult now. <laughs> yeah, stay tuned. Oh, fuck. No doubt. <laughs> no doubt. No, I'm just teasing. Um, I think what it is is like it's, it's such a difficult job to do and then you add the stress of the cameras as well, which makes it an even more difficult job. That, you know, I think in a lot of ways, you, you know, you don't choose who you work with in this situation. So it's almost like, you know what, we I have to work with this person, live with this person. I think I was a lot more volatile maybe in seasons one and two. And then I started going like I just, you know, it makes your life very difficult when you're fighting with 50% of the crew at all times, you know? Yeah. So I probably just pulled back a little bit and went like, Ugh, choose your battles because it's, you know, it's tiring. But you didn't have a problem um, confronting Bugs. By the way, funny enough that her name is Bugs because she really bugs me. Like as, as a, <laughs> in general, <laughs> as a human, I... Like I, when I was watching season five, personally, I was willing to forgive Malia because I could see that she was really like so far professional like really matured and when i watch back yeah. i'm like no it's just a lot like <laughs> it's just a lot <laughs> it was like after 24 hours i'm like oh you know i she love you know the enthusiasm and everything but jesus someone give this woman a valium like she needs to chill out a little bit there's just a lot of talk constantly and a lot of enthusiasm and super stew and ugh. there's like a chip on the shoulder as well which is something that we've seen 
a lot, which has really, again, bugged me on Below Deck. It's like yeah. the second stew always kind of thinks like she deserves your position. And there's always kind of like a power, uh, you know, like a, like a power struggle, power struggle. Um, yeah. That's something, you know, bugs can say, yeah, I'm here to serve you, to help you. And I was like, I don't fucking buy it. Like you're so fucking big. No. Well, that's the thing is I'm just like, it's just, to me, that was strange because it's like, you know, at the end of like last season, which was years ago, you were like, you're a lousy chief stew and, you know, you thought you could do so much better than me and blah, blah. Like, it's like, what are you, why are you back then? Like, if, if it was really that bad working under me, then probably quite camera time. why she was back. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something I was going to ask you about um, Below Deck Med, because, you know, for example, I'm used to talking about Vanderpump Rules and... You know, the servers that are now not servers at all anymore, but like I guess some of them are still. Um, yeah. Now in the bar restaurant industry in LA, they kind of, they, they're kind of seen as like servers that are going to become superstars and that are going to become actors. And like now becoming a server at Sir or Tom Tom is kind of like the luxury version of being a server. Yeah. I think it's completely different because it's like, a real skill like a I'm not saying that being a bartender is not but I feel like mm. yachting is like a a super hard job that takes a lot of experience to be able to master and certificates and training and yeah yeah a hundred percent and so how are you guys kind of viewed by the rest of the yachting industry like uh, you know are people chosen to be on below deck med just for camera when they don't have the call like how how are you guys seen from the, the the overall industry so the interesting thing um with below deck is it's because a lot of people go that they, they she's a plant or she's fake or and it's like you can't actually do that because legally as a requirement we need to have a certificate called the stcw and that's a two and a half thousand dollar certificate. And they're not going to go, oh, we're just going to pluck this person in and then train them in like fire safety and man overboard and all of this sort of stuff. Like it's like you need to have that certificate to go on below deck. So you, you do need to work in yachting or have worked in yachting. Um, and in terms of how other, other yachties view us, I think it's really hard because for me, like I, I lived and worked in Antibes in the south of France. And so nobody, like the Yachties didn't really like the show because there is a massive element of um, privacy in yachting. And, you know, the owners don't want people knowing what's going on. And it's a very private, like we sign NDAs when we work, you know, I've worked for like some Russian arms dealers and things like that. They don't want, you know, anyone else knowing what's going on there's literally submarines that come and sit under yachts when they have important meetings to ensure that the security on the boat isn't um contra you know isn't yeah. contra not contradicted what compromise what word am i looking for compromise thank you um but so well. there is a little bit of a stick <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> between the two of us we're like one full person with the full english language <laughs> Literally there. um yeah so there is like um an element of 
of that where they um they don't they don't like it because they think it's it's an industry that shouldn't be talked about but then at the same time i had been in antib for six years before i did below deck and so all of the old school yachties they were very close friends of mine and they so then as soon as i was in it they were fine with it <laughs> yeah so you feel like you got support from your friends for being on it yeah, 100%. I, I feel like we see a lot. I was super unfamiliar with like that side of the yachting industry before watching it. Do you feel like there are things that are not shown or that come across very differently for television? Like I kind of want to know, you know, aspects of the yachting industry that we haven't really seen um, on camera. So to be completely honest with you, it was all very new to me as well because um, I have worked in the Mediterranean and the Mediterranean is primarily Russians and Arabs. Yeah. So coming in to below deck, like that was all very new to me to have American guests. So I think you'll probably see it like in the first few seasons, you know, I'm like, what's a schmore? What is this? What's fireball? I don't understand like what you guys are asking for. What's a craft cocktail? Like entree, (laughs) that thing with the entree or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like we're in France and entree is a starter, you know? Yeah. And so for me, I guess all the American stuff was was very new to me. Um, But I think always think that it's funny because people go like, oh, the guests are crazy. And I'm like, you don't know crazy till you work for the Russians. I'm sorry. Like you just there is so much more to yachting than what you see like on below deck. And it's probably a lot darker and a lot like scarier. Um, hence why it's not televised. But yeah, there's yeah, there's there's a lot of you know a lot of sides to yachting that are very, very normal that would never make it on TV because when you're doing that sort of stuff, you don't want it to be on TV. I've spent my childhood actually like vacationing in like Monaco and things like that. Yeah. I'm from Switzerland. Um, not r- Yachting aside, the dark shit that goes on in fucking South of France, mm. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. want to say. Not that I took part. I was more like a... They're doing works now. Bystander? Yeah. I mean, I like my family, like we would spend, you know, everyone from Geneva kind of goes to South of France in like on the weekends, yeah. in the summer and stuff. And that's kind of how I spent my summers. But, you know, I'm not Russian. I'm not Arab. Like, you know, it's not in my culture to do the things that they think is okay to do in their culture. Yeah. But the dark shit that goes on in South of France let alone yachting, because that's like an even more mm. private situation, is really fucking mind-blowing. I will say that. And I'm not mm. someone who usually judges, but the shit that I've seen in South of France is... What is something that you can observe from like, you know, you said you've served American guests and it was very different to serving, you know, the more... They're not European, but the more European... um customer like vacationing in europe what are some of the like cultural differences that you've noticed between the two because that's something i speak a lot about on the podcast yeah um i guess like probably the biggest thing for me is that is the wine like i just was blown away how 
literal wine Americans drink. <laughs> like you would have like, you know, say 12 guests, 12 European guests, and they would start in the morning on a rosé and then they'd move to like a white with their starter and then a red and then back to rosé and just stay on wine all day and that's very normal. Whereas Americans are, they like their spirits and their cocktails. Tequila. I want a tequila um, shot. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, Europeans don't really do shots over the age of like 20, you know? It's a very juvenile thing to do in in Europe is shots. It's something that you do when you're 17 and you're going to the disco. Literally. You know? Fun fact, I've never done a shot so, in my life. Yeah. I can't. <laughs> I wish I could say the same. <laughs> I can't. I'm 100 pounds. Like if like I get drunk with two glasses of rosé. It's not because yeah. I'm not an experienced drinker because believe me, my friends, I fucking am. But it's just, I can't take it. So if I do a shot, I'll probably just die. It's a real problem. Yeah. Um, Janet always makes fun of me for it. She's yeah. like, because you're so small or something. Like I can't, I can't do a shot. Yeah. But it's also, I didn't grow up doing shots because I think, especially like when you go to university in Europe and stuff, it's not in our culture to do like the beer pongs and the binge drinking. No. You know? Yeah. We, we, no, that's, I think that's actually one of the biggest and nicest differences is, you know, like at 13 years old, they will sit at dinner and they will have a half glass of wine in front yeah. with dinner. And so it's not this massive taboo thing that you have to wait until you're 18 and then 21. suddenly they hit 18 or 21 in America. And then it's like this overindulgence of shots and, you know, disgusting behavior. Whereas in Europe, you're just brought up with yeah. it. So it's not a big thing when you start drinking because you started drinking at 13. You just did it in a civilized Yeah, and manner. we also go clubbing. Like we don't do like the whole frat house thing. Like we go to clubs, you know. And so I feel like yeah. maybe because we have it in front of us, we don't feel like, yeah, as you said, we don't have that overindulgence because we have no craving for it. It's always, always there. Yeah. And it's not something that you're told like this is bad and don't do it and you know, you can't and no, because that leads people to wanting to do Definitely. it more. You want what you do. You can't feel like have. Europeans tip less than so, Americans. Europeans yeah. tip less? Yes, hundred Yeah. It's not in our culture as well. Usually tip yeah. is included for us. I got called out on it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, I, I struggled when I started go, to go to America because we don't tip in Australia either. And then I'd lived in France where you would leave like a euro or two, yeah. you know, for a 30 euro bill. And that's kind of the norm. You just leave the coins. So, but the other thing as well is these, um, the difference between the European and American is this, the theme parties and the table decor. In Europe, you know, you set a beautiful table with like a white linen tablecloth and, you know, some beautiful flowers in the middle and your cutlery and plates and like a placemat. And that's what, you know, that's what the Russian and the Arabs want. They don't want this massive table thing in the middle of their table. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you did that to a Russian, they'd be like, what are you doing, you crazy woman? That's so <laughs> American. That was never themes something. are so American. It's very like, American. I moved yeah. to LA like I've been in LA for five years now, and I'm like, why the fuck do you guys need so many costumes? I'm like, I don't want to wear a fucking costume. Yeah. I want to wear my nice clothes. 
Yeah, and it's costume parties, costume nights, theme nights. You know, everything has to have like, it's just like, if you want to wear white, just wear white. It doesn't need to be a white party. Just, I don't know. It's very strange. I feel like you're more European vibes, even though you're not, like, because you've worked, you know, in the Mediterranean. I I feel like you get the European culture a little bit more, probably. A hundred percent. I was going to say favorite seasons one and four, which I think was the same for you, probably, like the teams. Same for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I still chat with Tiffany. I'm still friends mm-hmm. with her. So both the girls from season one and then both the girls from season four. I'm close with Aisha and Anastasia. Don't I just understand you so well? Yes. Like the best seasons, <laughs> even the guys on season one and four were just so fucking funny, like so good. And so you don't talk to Adam? Um, I We send like a message maybe every three or four months. Yeah. A text to touch base and like I saw that he had a really rough season with uh below deck sailing yeah so yeah and I was chatting with Jenna uh who's the chief steward on that and yeah just sent him a message going like keep your head up and stay above the bullshit kind of thing so you didn't feel the need to tell him about Malia and like her being back and stuff no no can you admit on record that this season the team is not the best? <laughs> the whole team, the interior team, the deck team, which team are we talking? Both. Uh, yeah, no, it's definitely. I was missing season four a lot this yeah. year. I really enjoyed everything about season four. Yeah. It was, everyone was fun. They, you know, even Jack, it's like he was so lazy. And he never did anything, but he had that cheeky British side to him that he kind of got away with it. And then Travis was just like a hot mess, but then he had that cheeky Australian humour that would kind of, you know, allow him to get away with it. And the girls were fantastic. And, yeah, this season was just, I don't know, it's just obviously, as you can see, it's just not not going my way at like every yeah turn. i feel like the guys this season are very like the the deck team um but i, I this season i have to say i think malia's doing like so far because i've only watched the first couple episodes is doing like a, a really good job but i feel like the guys are very like mm-hmm. dumb <laughs> i don't know how to explain dumb. i feel like they're just <laughs> dumb and like very like doofus like kind of dumb um, whereas yeah. you know the season before they yeah. were cheeky, the, the, but they were like very like on it. Yeah. Still, I don't know how to explain. No, no, no. I agree with you. The person I probably connected with the most this season was Kiko. Oh, he's amazing. Um, he's so funny. Yeah, he's good. He is, and he's just got a really fantastic attitude. Yeah, and I think sometimes, like I think with Adam, a lot of our issues was stemmed like was that came from his paranoia that I was trying to fuck him over when I wasn't, you know, like I don't, I'm not the puppeteer master, you know, I don't control everything. And I think sometimes like Adam gets in his own head and that's what he did. He thought that I was trying to mess with him when, you know, I'm like, I'm just trying to get through my own job, buddy. I ain't got time to mess with you. Whereas, because Kiko and I kind of, we got off on the right foot and he trusted yeah. me. So then we worked well yeah. together. 
it's like if you know if you've got a chef that's just horrible to you all the time you're not going to go out your way to yeah. help them you're going to be like hey i know you're in the middle of cooking but they've asked for a cheese plate so that's your job whereas with kiko it's like i'm like okay they've asked for a cheese plate you know what i can do a cheese plate and i just do it for him to help him because he was yeah. nice I feel like with you, if there's the willingness to like work together, you'll do your part. But as we've seen with motherfucking Lara, which could not. Yeah. Um, If the willingness isn't there, it's not going to come from you. Like it needs to be like a two way street. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like, even with Jess, you know, she wasn't, she's not like the most amazing, quickest, you know, on it stewardess, but she's got the right attitude. So, you know, I can work yeah. with that. If you have the right attitude, even when you make mistakes and stuff, I'm, I just move on. I'm yeah. fine. I don't hold it against you. But when it's this, like, you know, you go like, hey, did you do this? Well, no, because this and this. And then you're like, okay, cool, but I need you to do that. Oh, but Rora, it's like, just stop giving me excuses because that's frustrating. If you just go, oh, shit, sorry, I forgot. I'm like, oh, good. Just, you know, help on it now. You don't have to be the best at something to succeed. You just have to like go about it the right way. I want to know some of kind of like the behind the scenes of when you're on Below Deck Med. Obviously, this year you're in a, a relationship, which is great. But for the single people, does it mean that if you're not hooking up mm-hmm. with someone on the boat, do you just like don't have sex for a whole season? Or do you like sometimes end up at some random guy's house? Or do you bring them back on the like? Do, do, are you on dating apps while you're doing this? Like, how does it happen if you actually want to go and get no. some action? You're so funny, sweetheart. We're so tired. <laughs> we don't want action. <laughs> we want our pillow. <laughs> no, you are definitely not dating off the boat. You're not dating not on camera. You're, you're not getting not, any action? You know, ending up at a random guy's house, as you said. There's no action happening unless it's, unless you guys end up seeing it. Oh, my gosh. So it's like if there's no cute guy on the boat, you're fucked for the whole season. Yeah, but it's only six weeks. <laughs> Can you not go without sex for six weeks? There you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at least, you know, I'm quarantined. Like I can be like ugly and not shit. Like I'm not, you know, on a, on a fucking yacht in the summer still having – and it look hard, yeah. but not getting any. Do you know what I mean? That must be difficult. <laughs> you know what I mean? I honestly, no, because I just know how horrible it is, like, filming. That, like, if I have, like, half an hour, I just want to, like, sleep. Fuck. It doesn't even cross your mind, trust Fuck. me. Fuck. I mean, no, don't get me wrong. I'm asking for people who would be very, like... I I literally off the record, but it's probably going to be on the podcast anyway, because I can't be bothered to edit such a fucking prude. But, um, yeah, I'm just asking for some of the guys or I don't know for for some of them. Well, why do you think the guys end up always looking like chauvinistic? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. There's a reason behind that. (laughs) Probably. Actually, you know what? That all makes sense now. You've like resolved the puzzle for me. You've <laughs> solved the, the fucking puzzle. The light is literally. Fading. Oh my gosh, that's actually very interesting. <laughs> so you know, I I get the whole like sweetheart with Malia, the sweetheart, sweetheart. Like if it's not coming out from there, it's gonna come out in a different way. Yeah, but that was strange to me. 
I think because I'm such a direct person that like if one of the guys was calling me sweetheart and it bothered me, I would say, hey, stop calling me sweetheart. It bothers me. You know? Yeah. I, I'm like you. I would be very strong like that. But I can also see how for Malia, she has a very like, her voice is very like high pitched and it could easily come off as like petty. Like I'm a girl like, stop doing that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel yeah. like you have a more womanly kind of like tone of voice. She's, she still sounds like a, a little bit of a teenager. Yeah, that's probably true. I, I can see why she would feel like she's being petty doing this. Whereas you're more assertive with how you say things. Yeah. See, I always, I always in yachting just think it's so petty to go to the captain. So to me, I'm like, if I can nip something in the butt on my own, I would much prefer to do that than run to the captain. Yeah. It shows a bit of a lack of, um, of mature, like a lack of strength. Like she doesn't believe in herself yet. I want you to tell us a little bit about like pregnancy and how it's been going for you, especially during quarantine. Like, I'm super curious to know how it's been going for you. You said that you just got a pregnancy massage because I'm just used to seeing you as like a boss bitch, like that, 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 yeah. And <laughs> I just want to know how, how you're taking it being pregnant. So it's very different. Um, <laughs> I actually found out I was pregnant and then we went into lockdown two weeks later. So this is just typical Hannah timing. <laughs> It's either always very good or very bad. And this is very good because I had a few commitments in the States and they were all cancelled. Mm -hmm. And then I was in my first trimester. So I was really, really, um, I was about to say seasick, really, really morning sick. I had a lot of morning yeah. sickness. Um, and so it was almost so good because it was like my life changed so dramatically so quickly. And it was almost like, okay. I have to stay at home and like I have morning sickness. So now the rest of the world, if you could all just stay home and not drink and not have fun so I can get used to this. That you feel like great. you're not alone. So, you're not alone. Stay home, not drinking. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, the government basically put my boyfriend in the naughty corner. So he had to stay home yeah. with me. So it all worked out really well for And Hannah. was it planned? Was baby planned? So, or was it like a bit of a surprise? Um, I guess it was kind of semi-planned. Like I, I actively went off the pill. Um, I just didn't think it would happen so quickly. I feel like there's things that people don't talk about. Like my sister was telling me like my, my vagina looks completely different. Like, or I can't even see my vagina. Like, there's so many things that you wouldn't imagine happen to you and your body when you're pregnant. And I'm kind of curious because I want to get ready for when I have my baby, which, you know, <laughs> is probably going to happen same time frame as you since we're literally like the same fucking person. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, the one thing that shocked me the most is the emotional side of it. I think probably in five seasons, you've probably seen me cry twice. I'm not a big crier and I am crying all the time just randomly like and it's about the weirdest things like I went past my dog's bowl the other day and put some chicken in it from my plate and she saw me do it and she went up and ate it and then I was like oh my god what if she thinks that this is what I think of her like this is what I think she deserves like leftovers 
when really I love her so much. And now she's going to think that I think that she only deserves leftovers. And I started bawling my eyes Pregnancy brain. So it's this, yeah, hormones and pregnancy brain. So a lot of just random tears. And then there's all the growth stuff, but I won't go into that. What's that? I want to know all the things. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's like probably... I guess when you're used to looking a certain way, I think especially, you know, look, I'm, you know, I wouldn't lie. When you have, you know, when you're on a reality show and you have your Instagram and things like that, and I'm always used to being, like I say, it's 8 to 10 Australian, which I think is like 6 American. And then suddenly you're just, yeah, but not anymore because your thighs start getting bigger so they can carry the weight and, your boobs are like the size of freaking helium balloons and everything, your skin starts getting funny because of all your hormones and like it's just, you're just different. Yes. So I think that takes a little bit to get used to. So Between luckily, us, does um, it make you feel like, you know, you say that they're gross stuff. Does it make you feel like just happy and pregnant or does it make you feel gross? No, that's not gross stuff. There's like real gross stuff that I really can't talk about. <laughs> but do you feel overall gross or do you feel like I'm pregnant and I'm good and it's good? No, you don't. It's like it kind of wants it, when it starts happening, I think I had two or three weeks where I was just uncomfortable with my body and like feeling very self-conscious. Yeah. But then you just, once you actually accept that you're like, growing a child inside you and then you start thinking about all the good stuff that just all of that just fades away and I've got such an amazing supportive partner who tells me I'm beautiful every day so that doesn't hurt once you like actually just like oh my god I have a baby coming it just none of that stuff matters that gives me so much hope for the future oh well now I'm gonna like your journey maybe we should have a bet right now we should but I don't (laughs) want you to lose and have to take me on holiday (laughs) well maybe it's like the lucky bet because I really thought I was gonna win it should we make a bet and you want to lose because that means yeah let's do that okay let's do like a weekend in south of France because my partner's Scottish so we'll always be over there so we'll do like two nights at Eden Rock or something. Okay. If in two years' time you're not with your forever. Person. Okay. So does it mean that in two years' time, if I'm not with my significant other, I have to take you, your child, and your partner at Eden Rock and like fourth wheel? <laughs> Is that the best? Because <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> No, I think I'll leave him in Scotland and I'll pop down a few days earlier and we'll just have some girls' time. <laughs> you know I'm just going to confuse you in two years' time no matter what situation you're in and be like, girl, it was this way. You're totally picking up the 50-euro club sandwiches. Like literally, <laughs> can I just say, I will, I will remember this bet and I will fucking stick to it. Because I feel like we'd be great friends anyway. So <laughs> if I'm with my significant other, we're going to even rock. I don't give a fuck. Sounds good. So excited to not be single. But uh, anyway, thank you so much (laughs) for your time, Hannah. This is amazing. You are so incredible. I'm so sad that, you know, we probably will not be seeing you on Below Deck Med, but I'll be following your journey on Instagram. Can you let everyone know where they can find you? All the things. 
Yes. So you can find me on Instagram at Hannah Ferrier underscore. No. no. <laughs> I don't even know my own handles. I'm really bad at social media. You can find me on Twitter at Hannah Ferrier underscore. You can find me on Instagram at Hannah Ferrier 234. Thank you so much for your time. I'm so excited to watch the rest of season five. And you are my absolute favorite. I'm so glad you came on the show. Thank you so much, Diana. It was so nice to chat with you. I look forward to Eden Rock. Thank you so much for listening to the You Can't Say With Me podcast. Just a quick reminder, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It is the most helpful and supportive thing you can do for this show. Also, if you would like to engage in the conversation yourself, you're welcome to request to join the secret Facebook group. It's called You Can't Sit With Me. Don't forget to look for it. But all really annoying and thirsty plugs aside, hope you enjoy this episode.